Amen. I'm going to be teaching this morning. Amen. And I'm going to be teaching on what I have titled, Creating an Atmosphere for Downloading the Wisdom of God. So what does it mean to download? Download. Anybody? Download. Pull down. Let's talk about it technically. Computer gigs. What does it mean to download, even if you are not a programmer? You know, you go to iTunes, wherever you go, and you download music, don't you? Okay. You download the latest album of your favorite artist. That is, you pull it from where it is in the cloud. They're usually in the cloud. And it's not this white clouds or the blue ones. <laughs> it's just cloud. They call it cloud. Yeah. And somehow they keep all those things in the cloud. And you have your own little phone or iPad or whatever it is, and you access where they have stored it. The cloud really is just a massive storage space, technically, and they put stuff in it. And then you go there, you pay your 99 cents or $1.29, you buy the song, and you download it into your own device. Amen. So this morning, we're talking about how to create an atmosphere for downloading the wisdom of God. How do you get the wisdom of God? So a senior pastor has been teaching us about the wisdom of God. And we'll probably hear more maybe today or whenever next he teaches on it, uh, when we go to the Akron service. But the wisdom of God is so paramount, you cannot do without it. We've been told that wisdom is the principal thing we know it is the most important thing to get. And we've been told that wisdom is not just a thing. Wisdom is a person. Were we told that? Yes. The presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives brings the wisdom of God. And as you read right through Proverbs, you see uh, wisdom is personified. It's like, come before me early in the morning and I'll speak to you. I'll talk to you. I'll, you know. So wisdom is a person, really, is the presence of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So how do we create an atmosphere where we're constantly downloading the wisdom of God? Next time I get to teach on this, I will be teaching on how you use this wisdom to catapult yourself in the workplace, in the marketplace. There's nothing like the wisdom of God. One of the things pastor told us is um, there's nothing that can actually withstand the wisdom of God. I personally, working in industry, have found out that there's absolutely nothing that can withstand it. I don't care what people try to do to stop you. If you have the wisdom of God, it will take you to where you want to go. Amen. And regardless of who is standing in front of you or who's trying to pull you down from behind, the wisdom of God will push you to where you want to go. I am a living testimony Amen. that the wisdom of God cannot be counteracted. Amen. That wisdom works Nobody can, I mean, when God is in it, remember wisdom is a person. So you can't withstand the presence of the Holy Spirit. A Christian, you know, intentionally brings into the workplace. So uh, when I do get an opportunity to teach on this, I'm going to teach on how to use the wisdom of God in the workplace. But for this morning, how do you create that atmosphere? The two things, one I'm going to emphasize for the sake of time. But two things, you have to be a lover of God and you have to be a lover of peace. A lover of God and a lover of peace. 
two things, a lover of God and a lover of peace. I won't dwell too much on being a lover of God because we'll come back to that one day. But today, a lover of peace. Let's talk about Solomon and King David. Anybody knows who Solomon was? Talk to me, people. Solomon. Who was he? He was David's son. The wisest man that ever lived. King of Israel. Richest king ever. Beats Jeff Bezos. Not Bozo, like somebody called him. Jeff Bezos. Actually smarter and richer. Who else knows anything about Solomon? He built the temple in Israel. Okay. And that was the most expensive building ever built on earth. Ever. The walls were made of gold. I mean, just the most expensive ever built till date. So that was Solomon. Any other? He asked God for wisdom. Okay, let's talk about Solomon. Let's go to First Chronicles. And by default, we are going to be talking about David because David was Solomon's father. So First Chronicles 22, verse 7. Let's go to First Chronicles 22, 7. And David said to Solomon, My son, as for me, it was in my mind to build an house unto the name of the Lord my God. Verse 8, But the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Thou hast shed blood abundantly, and hast made great wars. Thou shalt not build a house unto my name. So God is rejecting David. Said, no. Now David was doing it from the goodness of his heart. If we read the whole story, which we want, he sat down in his house one day and he felt, I'm living in this palatial building. How come God's ark is in just a tent? And he got really upset and he told himself he's going to build a palace for God's ark that is something really big and massive. And I'm going to come back and tell you about that one day. But he was going to do it. And the prophet Nathan, who was the prophet of the land, said, oh, of course, whatever is in your heart, go ahead and do it. Because he was very excited. That so, it was like somebody coming to the pastor and saying, look at this building. I got a billion dollars right here. Let's pull it down. Let's build another one. What would the pastor say? <laughs> Knock yourself out. Just build whatever. And that's exactly what Nathan said because it made human sense. But when God got down to it, God said, no. So God sent Nathan back to him and said, go correct. I didn't send you. I didn't tell you to tell him to build the temple. <laughs> tell him, no. I appreciate the offer, but no. You will not be building me a temple. That's what God said to David. And then in verse eight, 9, 1 Chronicles 22. So remember in 1 Chronicles 22, verse 7, we said David said to Solomon. We have um, identified Solomon as David's son. David had many sons, but David chose Solomon to become king after him. And then he's given Solomon this instruction and saying, in my heart, I wanted to build the temple, but God said to me, you can't build it because you've shed so much blood. You fought too many great wars. I can't let you build my house. That's what God told David. 
And then God tells, so, so um, David tells Solomon in verse 9, Behold, a son will be born to you, though, who shall be a man of rest. So when God said, no, thank you, you can't build my temple, he says, I'm not saying I don't want a temple. I'm just saying you won't be the one to build it. Then he tells him, he says, but there is a son. You're going to have a son. A son shall be born to you who shall be a man of rest. And I will give him rest from all his enemies round about. For his name shall be Solomon. And I will give peace and quietness unto Israel in his days. He shall build a house for my name. And he shall be my son. And I will be his father. So God says, there's a man of rest coming. I don't want a man who's shed blood, who's been in many wars. I don't want you to be building my house. In First Chronicles 22, 8, that in the amplified version, it says, But the word of the Lord came to me, saying, You have shed much blood and have waged great wars. You shall not build a house to my name because you have shed much blood on the earth in my sight. One of the first things I want to tell you this morning is this. God can advance you and cause you to prosper in the midst of turmoil, aggression, agitation, pain. He can do that. But listen, God can do so much more and he has reserved his best for you in an atmosphere of peace. So there may be turmoil in your household. There may be a lot of things going on in your house. It doesn't mean that you won't advance, but the best, God has reserved his absolute best for you in an atmosphere of rest and peace. Amen. So in that verse 9, it says, he shall be a man of rest. First Chronicles 22, 9, he says, I don't want you to build it, I want your son. At that time, David didn't have a son called Solomon. He was not born then. But God sent the, the Nathan to him to tell him prophetically, you will have a son his name will be Solomon. He will be a man of rest. The Hebrew word for rest is menuka. It means quiet. Quiet. So we're talking about creating an atmosphere for the wisdom of God, for downloading the wisdom of God. It says he's going to be a man of rest. It means quiet. His name shall be Solomon. That mean, that name, let's put that up in the Amplified, 1 Chronicles 22, 9. That name means peaceable. It's actually called Shalomo. That's the way it is in the Hebrew, Shalomo. It means peaceful. I want a son who is a man of rest, whose name will be peaceful. That's the person I want to build my house. And in 2 Samuel chapter 12, Verse 24, Solomon was born. David comforted Bathsheba, his wife, and went to her and lay with her. And she bore his son, and she called his name Solomon. This is, this is probably um, Bathsheba's fourth son for, for, for um, David. This is not the first son. This is, had many sons before this guy. And the minute this boy was born... Bathsheba calls his name Solomon. And the Bible says, and the Lord loved the child. Amen. So when you look at Solomon's character and personality, there's one commentary I was reading. It says, Solomon was by nature an unwarlike person. His whole policy of the kingdom was direction 
of peace. His was just peace. But under him, the kingdom of Israel became a superpower. David had taken the kingdom of Israel to a big, you know, everybody knew of David was a man of war. He won all his wars. There was nothing he laid his hands on that he didn't prosper. David, by his own might, was extremely wealthy. And apart from him personally, the kingdom of Israel, on, you know, fought wars. They were took down Goliath, many kinds of giants. And, you know, they were, everybody knew of Israel. But in the time and reign of Solomon, they became a superpower. They became at the same level as Egypt, Assyria in those days, just like America is today in the world. In the time of the man of rest, he never fought any war. He had shields, but the shields were made of gold. So you know those shields were not made to go to war. <laughs> so God reserves his best for peace. Amen. So this is one scripture pastor read to us. Let's go to James 3, 17 to 18. James chapter 3, 17. Let's read it in the Amplified. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure, and it is peace-loving. It is courteous, considerate, and gentle. It is willing to yield to reason, full of compassion and good fruits, and so on. The part of, that I really want to emphasize in verse 17 is it is peaceable. God is the prince of peace. He does not like unrest in any shape or form. He doesn't like agitation. He doesn't like people hurling insults to each other across the room using the F word and, you know, all the four-letter words because they're very angry. The Spirit of God does not dwell in that kind of atmosphere. So David couldn't build that temple because he was all war. God needed a man of quiet and a man of peace. Look at verse 18, James 3:18 in Amplified. And the harvest of righteousness is the fruit of the seed sown in peace by those who walk for and make peace in themselves and in others. That peace which means concord, agreement, harmony between individuals with undisturbedness. A peaceful mind free from fears, agitating passions, and moral conflicts. There has to be peace. Peace in your heart for the wisdom of God to be downloaded. Pastor already taught us about this. He said, and I actually wrote it down in my notes. I want to see what he said. He says, peace does not come by talking. I've been married. This April will be 25 years we've been married. I know. I am the one who says we need to talk. It's never, <laughs> it's never my husband that says we need to talk. It's always me. So we, we got to talk. <laughs> I'm always the one. Honey, we got to talk. Uh-huh. And he's always the one saying, really? And I'm saying, uh-huh. I really don't have time for this. Yes, you do. Yes, you do have time for this. <laughs> But 25 years into it, I do agree with this statement. He says, pastor was telling us, he says, peace comes from God not by talking. 
Now, when you've had peace in your heart, then you can talk. Because the peace of God is downloaded in your midst when there is rest, when there's calm. So I wanted to bring that up, seeing that we have February 14th around the corner, and we'll be buying candies and flowers. I just want us to be sure that we have peace. Amen. Amen. And it's not from honey, we got to talk. It's, it's you, girl, getting into the presence of God and finding your peace. Amen. When they say, men, I give you permission. Once you see her eyes rolling and she's saying she wants to talk, tell her, Pastor Tinu said, no, actually say, our senior pastor said, not me, say, our senior pastor said, uh-uh. Go find your peace. When you found your peace, and I can tell when you found your peace. When you found your peace, come back. Let's talk. <laughs> Amen. So we, we, we know that it is not in the midst of agitation. That's not where we download the peace of God. Let's talk about peace. The Greek word for peace is irene. Irene means quietness, rest. Remember, God said, you, don't build, you can't build my temple. You've been a man of war. A man of rest is coming. So he says, his name is Solomon that is peaceable. And peace in the Greek means, is irene and means quietness. It means rest. It means harmony. It means tranquility of the heart. It means, it is the peace in, um, in the Greek irene is the Hebrew word shalom. And shalom is not just peace. Shalom means prosperity, well-being, health. So with that peace comes wisdom and everything we all crave for. You want to be healthy. You want to have everything. You know, you want to have prosperity. You don't want to have lack. So God says, I reserve my very best for rest and quietness. Amen. So peace is not just a lack of argument. You know, that's the other thing. So, ladies, even do I said, go find your peace. Because I, I, I've been through all the stages, I can tell you. I was in the stage like, well, I was never at this stage where I pulled my husband's shirt and said, no, I, I really never was there. I was too holy for that. But my heart was pulling his shirt. <laughs> even though my hand didn't grab his shirt, I said, you come here, uh-uh. But my heart was like, come here, what's wrong with you? But I didn't say it. But... But to be, tr to be honest, my heart was saying it. It's like, we got to talk. I say, no, we got, I said, yeah, we got to talk. And, you know, I can't, I can't really lock him down. But in my heart, I've already done that. So I've been through that phase. Then, I've, I, then I went through the phase where it's like, okay, you don't want to talk. I don't want to talk too. Okay. And then so we have this peace. It's not peace. It's cold war. Do you know Cold War between Russia and America? Did you ever see them fire anything? We had the football, you know that thing the president carries everywhere? Not once was that button pushed, ever. But it was always at the ready. That's called Cold War. Cold War is where you don't talk about it, you don't get into it, But it's not peace. So brothers, if you don't want to talk, you better find a time to talk. Because the fact that you haven't talked about it does not mean we've taken care of issues. 
Say amen, somebody. Come on now. Don't leave me here all by myself, you married people. Okay. How many years have you been married? Five. Okay. Okay. You counting? All right. <laughs> Is it good count or bad count? It's a great count, okay? Because Valentine's Day is coming. You want to say the right thing. Okay. (laughs) But think about it. The fact that you don't talk about it does not mean there's peace. Because to go into that James 3, if we go to the preceding verses um, from verse 13, it says, Who is there among you who is wise and intelligent? Reading from the Amplified. Then let him by his noble living show forth his good works with humility and of um, true wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy, envy, contention, rival, rivalry, selfish ambition in your heart. So on the surface you may appear calm, but you may have all these things going on. Do not pride yourselves on it and thus be in defiance of and false to the truth. This is superficial wisdom, is not such as comes down from above, but it's earthly. Watch this wisdom. I really want us to get this. If you are not talking, it may be in your home, it may be with a sibling. And so let's leave married couples aside. Talk about just family relationships, your sibling, your sister, your brother. You are not talking. It's cold war because in your heart you can't stand her guts. You can't stand him. You don't know why he thinks it's all that. And in your heart, you don't have that peace towards him. And then any kind of wisdom you want to put together, the Bible describes it in verse 15. It's superficial. It doesn't come from above. That is not from God. You're not downloading this from heaven. I don't care how smart you think you are. It is not from God. It is earthly. It is unspiritual. It's almost like an animal. That's not good. And above all, it's devilish. It is devilish. So you have to check your heart. You know that wisdom we're downloading? Many people say, oh, I have, I, I believe this is wisdom. He did that to you. Make sure none of your children attend your brother's kid's wedding. Then he'll know that you're really not kidding and you're not. It sounds good, it sounds smart, but guess what? It's not from above. It's devilish. I'm trying to put my mouth around demoniacal. Oh, I got it. Demoniacal. That was a big word. Um, Yeah, it was a big word, but I got it. So even devilish, that's how it is. Anytime you have things going on in your heart that way, it's, you can't generate godly, you cannot generate godly wisdom. It will bring, in verse 16, contention, disharmony, rebellion, and all sorts of things. First Peter 3, 4, speak to the ladies for a minute. But let it be, what the ladies were told in First Peter 3, don't make your beauty be like all this hairdo. I do like the hairdo. But. Don't let it be the number one. The Bible is not saying don't do it because if you look at me, then I'm, I'm anti-scripture. But no. But the Bible says, though, that the important thing is to make sure in verse 4, 1 Peter 3, 4, it says, Let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, the ornament of the meek and quiet spirit, which in the sight of God is of great price. 
So when you are going into your beauty routine, your spirit is the first place to go. Amen. That quiet spirit, that's the atmosphere in which the Holy Spirit speaks. All that shouting noise, even if it's, you're not saying it, but it's in your heart, you can't hear a voice. You cannot hear God. You can't. You may think you are. I don't care. You may be a minister. You may be a pastor. You can, I've gone through the different, I'm telling you now, I've gone through the stages. It's not God. It is not God. You can't have those things in your heart and have the wisdom of God. You cannot. So we got to watch it. Amen. So how do I get, and, and of course, um, Dickiness was praying this morning, and she used that scripture in 1 Timothy 2, um, verse 1. It says, I exhort that prayer be made for all men, verse 2, for kings, so for presidents and those in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life. God instructs to pray for them. Because when there's so much noise in the country, on Twitter, on Facebook, on YouTube, on everywhere, there is no peace and there is no prosperity. If you have prosperity, it's fake prosperity. You, you, God, that's why God would not let David build it. He wanted a man of peace, not man of agitation. No, peace. So God said, pray for your leader so you can get that atmosphere so your prosperity can come. That's why we pray. Regardless of what we see, we keep praying because that's the instruction. And finally, how do we get this peace? So first we ask God for peace because the Bible says he's the prince of peace. And when you take time, talk with God. Remember I was saying, don't talk to your spouse or to your loved one when you have agitation. First take care of it. How do you take care of that? You commune with God, you sit with God in the morning or whenever your time of prayer is, and God will speak. God will not give you the wisdom you're looking for, but he will speak to you about taking care of your unrest. He, you see, the thing with God is he has order, he has process, and he won't change it for your beautiful face. He won't. People like us are a living witness to that. I don't care how good you look. You come into his presence, you have to get that peace first. If you are looking for wisdom, you know, pastor taught us, ask for wisdom. Good. But if you ask for wisdom, you can't get it until you get a heart that is peaceable. And the thing that brought you and you're so agitated, that brother spoke wrongly to you, that usher did not put you in the right seat, and all those things that just make you all mad and riled up, you can't get a thing from God ever until you've dealt with it. So when you come into his presence in your time of prayer, one of the things the Holy Spirit is going to put, he, look, he does not deviate for this. I can tell you. He's going to point it out to you and say, girl, you got to take care of that. That's not looking good on you. And then say, but God, you did not know what she did. You didn't. You have no clue. How dare. And even in his presence, you're getting all riled up. <laughs> Can I get a witness? Don't you be looking at me as well. You are praying and you are getting all riled up praying. Especially if it's your spouse. I'm talking about spouse because it's Valentine's week, huh? And I know the candies and flowers have started. The, the brother did you wrong. He's your husband and he did you wrong. And you get into God's presence and he wants to take care of the God. If you were human, you will understand what I'm talking about. <laughs> 
And then God says, yes, I'm human. I'm sitting on the right hand of the Father. I'm right here. I understand exactly what you're talking about. Go forgive him. Say, God, you, you don't get this. If you had ever been married, and then Jesus comes back and tells you and said, look, I wasn't married, but I had 12 of the most dysfunctional humans as my disciples. <laughs> I lived with them all. Even one that sold me to the, to the enemy. Not once did you see I raised my hand and slapped his... No. So don't tell me I don't know what it is like. It's like, God, you don't understand. God tells you, no, you got to fix that before we go any further. So forgiveness is number one. He will show you what you need to do. And if you're in that place where you won't forgive, you're forgiving everybody except one person. The Bible says, and this one I've always remembered, Mark 18, 34. If you don't forgive, God will turn you over to tormentors. Spiritual tormentors, torturers, demonic spirits that will make your life hell. Unforgiveness is the worst thing you can do to yourself. Matthew 18, that's the story of this guy who owed his master a lot of money. He cried to his master and his master said, okay, I forgive you. He goes, lets him go free. He didn't even pay a penny. Then this servant turns around. And another person owed that servant money. And the servant will not forgive and throws this person that owed him money into, the, into jail. And somebody goes and reports to the master and says, you won't believe that guy you forgave. Do you know what he's doing to the people who owed him money? And the master said, no, turn him over to the jailers, to the torturers, to the tormentors. He's not going scot-free till he repays. In the spiritual sense of it, I've seen many people, we do deliverance. We cast out demons on people. There are some demons that will not leave. You can't make them leave until you have forgiven that last person. So your heart remains agitated until you make, and forgiveness is a choice. It's not a feeling. It's not like, oh, I feel like, okay, now I've cooled down. I don't feel all hurt anymore. Now I forgive. No, don't do it. Don't let it go past that day. This is how you forgive. Let me tell you. I forgive Dickiness Chichi now in Jesus' name. That's what you say it. Remember when we said something about confession? What happens when it comes out of your mouth is you speak it into existence and it becomes the reality. Until then, you have not been able to. But the minute you say, I forgive Mary now. It doesn't matter whether I feel like, but I release myself from unforgiveness. I forgive her now in Jesus' name. Or it's your husband. I forgive him right now in the name of Jesus. You release it. And sometimes the pain and the hurt does not go. And one of the things you do, one of the things I found out, I had a couple of people like that that it was so hard to forgive. The Lord showed me a scripture, which I'm sharing with you today. Hebrews 9.14. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works? The blood of Jesus can literally purge it out. It's a spiritual thing. It's not a physical thing. So after I've done it and I've said I forgive, I've confessed it, and I'm still feeling that hurt, what I do is I get myself Holy Communion. I just get myself... Um, what do you call it, grape juice and bread. 
I pray over it, becomes an element and say, Father, I forgive Mary now in the name of Jesus. I take this communion element. This is purged from my consciousness by the blood of Jesus. It has never failed ever, not once. I learned it from a minister because especially in ministry, people, woo, people hurt you so bad. After a while, of course, you develop a thick skin. But before then, you have a whole suitcase of unforgiveness. You just carry it around. The brother says hi. Say hi. I wonder maybe he's the next person. Who's going to go inside this suitcase? <laughs> That's ministry for you. But after a while, you come to understand these are God's people. He died for them like he died for you. You person too. So. But there's some that is really hard. That's my last step. After I have confessed, I forgive you in the name of Jesus. It's an act of faith. I speak it by faith. I forgive you. And then if I see the thing wants to be stubborn, I bring the communion elements and I speak over it. And that's the end, that's the end of it. I'll remember the incident, but it has no pain, no hurt, no effect. Did you get that? So that's that peaceable heart that we need to have. I only emphasize on forgiveness for the sake of time. That's all we're going to talk about this morning. I want us to get stand up on our feet. So remember, next time it's communion time or you want to get communion elements. If you have things like that, you want to cleanse your heart, get yourself ready. You want to put yourself in a place where there is an atmosphere of rest in your home. Let there be no shouting and screaming in the home of a born-again believer. Husband and wife can live in harmony. I know sometimes it's hard. But you can stand in faith and say, I forgive him or I forgive her. And then you keep going on in harmony. Let's stand. Let's pray. Go ahead. Talk to the Lord this morning. Say, I welcome the peace of God into my heart.